Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 61. So the thing is, we've got to recognize what is it about ADHD that affects us, right? And if it's emotional regulation, you know, sort of find a way and, you know, find someone to help you with it. You know, that's ADHD coaching, you know, and there are therapies out there. I recently started dialectical behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. That's DBT. It's really good for emotional regulation, much better than CBT. And yeah, so if it's the workplace challenges that you're recognizing, you know, um, having an ADHD coach can really help, you know, and as I say, you know, try and work in an environment that supports you, that makes you thrive. Because honestly, you can't thrive if you're in a high pressure environment that doesn't recognize your strength. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you're going through your journey. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk, where we talk about all things ADHD. So I'm so excited because I have Dr. Sam and I really wanted to dig into, I mean, we talk about this all the time in terms of why are girls missed when it comes to diagnosing ADHD. And now and now you're seeing more women later on in life diagnosed. And so so it's not like they don't have it, right? So I just wanted to really get into that side of things. So Sam, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Yakini. So lovely to be talking to you and to be on the other side of the interview as well. <laughs> I know it's different, isn't it? <laughs> Very different. <laughs> That's too funny. So please tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Samantha Hugh. Uh, I'm a communications consultant with a PhD in cancer research, and I am also the director of ADHD Girls Limited, which is a newly registered nonprofit organization with a mission to empower girls and women with ADHD with the knowledge and skills to manage their condition with effective uh, advocacy, communications, and specialist insights. Oh, that's awesome. So you have your own ADHD story. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, yes. I was only diagnosed this year at the age of 40, but I've always known I was different, different in the sense that I have struggled in school. You know, certain things take, you know, a lot more, you know, effort on my part to make happen. And I've always found uh, a challenge to stay consistent in my academic um you know, achievements uh, from school to university, mm-hmm. you know, and then late, later on. So I was only diagnosed this year at the age of 40 um, and I'm diagnosed with combined ADHD. And since then, I've been able to recognize the symptoms if, in my own child. So mm-hmm. my daughter was also recently diagnosed and I've had to fight for her diagnosis and she only got diagnosed at the age of six so it's very young to actually you know be able to tell you know the symptoms if you don't live with the person so as you know girls can mask their um, symptoms in school well I I would say traits not symptoms Mm -hmm. so because they have learned early in life that certain traits are not acceptable and that was the case with my own child 
Oh, wow. That is very interesting. So uh, before we dig into the, <laughs> the unfortunately missing girls, um, the diagnosis, what have you done differently or what do you, what strategies have you put in place for yourself that is different from when you found out that you had ADHD? Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to really pinpoint the strategy because I've always tried so much harder before I knew I had ADHD and I had these coping systems that saw me through university. And even though I did struggle in the middle part of my postgraduate degree, I sort of pushed through at the end. I think probably the ADHD urgency at the end kicked in and then workplace, you know, was also like, it was kind of like a roller coaster ride, mm. you know, that was never ever really consistent down one path. So what I've done differently is it was amazing to find out I had, you know, a set of traits that is so well known and is documented out there and having almost like an encyclopedia of what to expect and know about yourself, yeah. you know, help me mitigate it by, you know, developing systems that help me, you know, I'm still at the moment unmedicated. And like, I, I, I some days I wonder, do I really need it? Cause I've heard that some people can do so well on meds and some people don't. So what I've done so far to help me and especially where ADHD manifests most for me, it's my anxiety, you know, and especially if I take on too much, it can be quite overwhelming for me to perform the tasks, you know, trying to balance between work and career and, you know, just trying to split your time between all the different areas, you know, of your life. So yeah, ma managing my anxiety was one way I'm helping myself and I drink matcha tea every day. And I found that uh, going out for walks every day really help my mental health. And recently I found out it's because sunshine and vitamin D can boost the serotonin mm -hmm. in your brain. And so a lot of it is also recognizing what my triggers are and Recently, because I've had like a month and a half of being nomadic, you know, probably uh, packing and unpacking and going to nine different places in a month and a half, I realized that I have potential autistic spectrum disorder, mm. um, potentially Asperger's, because um, the sensory um, processing on my part is heightened. And when I'm in a situation I can't control, it can lead to a meltdown. So... Um, other things that I try and be aware of is during the time of the month, you know, the potential of PMDD, you know, to interfere with my ADHD traits, you know, um, I take some supplements for them. You know, I, I, I take evening primrose oil uh, to help my PMS symptoms. Mm -hmm. And for some reason it worked the last month. And I think that combined with going out for walks every day, and being close to nature was amazing. And I know it's not something I have in my day-to-day -day life, you know, just having this wide open countryside at, at my back garden. So that's something I'm going to need to relearn now that I've come back into, you know, the, the city life and mm -hmm, everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, good sleep, you know, having eight hours sleep, having proper supplements. You know, I realized recently I ran out of magnesium and zinc supplements and my energy dipped again. So just keeping, you know, the supplements, yeah, stored in, in, in check, you know, just making sure I take them every day. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of uh, things that, you know, I do can't possibly say them all now. 
No, I love that. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that you said that you've already put some or already had some coping mechanisms in place. And I always tell people that how blessed I was to have the parents that I had because I also had coping mechanisms in place, but a lot of it was what they had taught me. Right. And so from working in groups and we talk about body doubling today. Right. And but I have been doing that since I was in grade school and um, putting a you know, for me, I've always had a planner because my dad truly believed in being organized. So there was always these different things that. I put in place or my, my parents helped me put in place that I carried on to my adult life. And so those things, even though I still struggled in school, um, it was hard. It was really, really hard for me. Those things helped me get through. So you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just having some of those things, because everybody doesn't, everybody's not that lucky. Right. And they are truly struggling. It gets overwhelming. Um, people tend to quit school. I mean, it's just, it's just too much. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, which makes me think of, you know, the next question, because a lot of women find out that it, that they are ADHD or something is just not right when it becomes very overwhelming, right? Because they didn't have some of those strategies put in place earlier. So let's go back to the girls. You talk about that a lot of it is masking, but how do they even know? I mean, what is it that I remember doing the same thing? I'm thinking, why in a world am I not getting the grades that other people are getting? Or why, why do I get, why am I falling asleep, <laughs> you know, as a teacher is talking? Or why do I have to read yeah. the same page 20 times to understand it, right? All of those things. I, but I did it because I wanted to make sure that I stayed on top of my work, not understanding yeah. why it was happening. So why do you think that um, teachers are not seeing those things in girls? Why do you think that? Well, I think there's a lot of ways in which ADHD uh, traits can manifest you know, in, in someone, you know, um, they are the more overt hyperactive type, you know, that can be quite disruptive and there's just no way of reeling it in, you know, that's the, then there's the inattentive type that, you know, you just can't tell because everything is so internal. Right. And let you say the thing where you fall asleep at the back of the class, you know, and zoning off, like they're not disruptive. Right. So there's less chance of them being, uh, found out. And then the combined type, suppose I've heard that they are the ones who actually end up having the most complexes, you know, in terms of their emotional regulation in life because of all the different, you know, bombardment of yeah. negative messaging that they get, you know, since a young age. And also, I do not really think that educational establishments are, you know, that knowledgeable about ADHD. Yeah. You know, I had to fight tooth and nail with my daughter's school for them to understand and a lot of the schools don't have the resources you know to tackle or, or recognize this issue and in my own child's case a lot of what she faces is internal you know she's gregarious uh, she's very personable and she's brave and you know, she's got a lot of amazing talented uh, qualities but in school she worries about being seen and told off and the fear of rejection, which she unfortunately got quite early on in nursery when she transitioned into a school nursery and she realized that they were really strict and how strict, you know, a school is, 
you know, to a child with ADHD, it can really affect their self-esteem, especially when they are single out and embarrassed yeah. in a classroom. So because of that, right now, she is known to be quite quiet and withdrawn. And that is not her. Mm. And when she comes back, she melts down at home. But like things are a lot better now, you know, because I've advocated for her in school tirelessly every year, you know, with different teachers. And then when she gets back, you know, I think I, I come across like what, what someone said, you got to really hold your ground, you know, when your child is triggered, your child with ADHD is triggered, right? Because you got to remember what they are like before the symptoms set in, you know, what they are, the kind and really lovely, you know, child that you love. And it's really hard yourself to really recognize that because when they're triggered, they act up and you get triggered, you know? Right. So, <laughs> How do you find it within yourself to hold your ground? And some days are better than others, but most of the time I try not to respond with a negative messaging because they've had enough, honestly. I mean, they might not know it, but deep down somewhere, they start to lose confidence in themselves with all these things that are said to them. You know, why can't you tie your own shoelaces? You're already seven. You know, why can't you put your own clothes on? You know, why do I have to do everything for you? Right. You can't say these things because it'll make them doubt themselves. And the thing with ADHD is that people are confused why they act and think a certain way because their executive dysfunction hasn't allowed them to meet them at the, you know, stage that where the peers are at. So what their peers can do, their neurotypical peers then can do, they can't do. And it's confusing. And especially when it comes to emotional regulation, that is one thing I find like a lot of girls and women struggle with. And typically girls, I've heard it firsthand from my own child. She didn't, she doesn't realize how she can go from zero to a hundred within seconds. She doesn't know that ability of, you know, to erupt that can just change within a split second. And after it happens, it's so confusing to her. She's like, I don't know how that happened, but you know, and, and it's really heartbreaking to hear because, well, what you feel, I feel it too, you know, but it's to advocate that to people who do not feel the same way or understand. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think that professionals can do? The ones that interact with children. I mean, like here, I send my children to camps. I send them to different activities after school. And to your point, no matter who interacts with them, I have to advocate for them. So what do you think yeah. professionals can do to recognize these symptoms specifically in girls? So basically what you said about advocating for them is really the first step. And, you know, because if you don't, your child won't know how to do it. You know, they, they won't know how to find words, you know, for the difficulties that they feel like that is the first step, you know, and sometimes it takes a few times, like, you know, you've got to advocate a few times before it really sinks in. And it's only after they see any symptoms, like the childcare providers and the teachers see any symptoms that, that they notice it. So I think it's just to really observe the internal world of the girl. You know, a lot of the times it, it, it manifests as maybe talking over the teacher you know mm. talking too much when they're meant to be quiet and not actually able to follow through with instructions right so the problem with you know having ADHD is that you have the executive dysfunction of sequencing a task mm -hmm. you know that is told to you as an instruction you know say I'll tell you I'll, I'll instruct you to do five things 
and you might only hear one of it and that's the one in the middle or towards the end because you might forget the first and second and third point and then what my child tends to do is she goes ahead and does the fifth thing and does it in her own way she calls it her own style um and so that tends to get the teachers to think that she's not listening but if the child does this again and again and again despite you know their best effort and you can tell when they're trying very hard you know like something's got to kick off in your brain right what is going on here right I mean a child can't consistently not be listening to you right and that's what you're in at ADHD get a lot you're just not listening no but it's not true is it I mean it's because they're, they're trying to do it to their best and they're confused and because of that a lot of them a lot of them get school anxiety and not willing to try because why set yourself up for failure yeah. when you don't know how to do it but fortunately i think this executive functioning skills does mature over time but then you know it comes with an, another set of challenges when they go into secondary school and you know the effects of hormones and puberty and you know it's it's, it's never ending so once you sort out you know one side another side props out so yeah your child needs your support you know your advocacy and um, treatment in some cases. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, to your point, I, how do I say this? I pay attention as a parent from, especially as my child is getting older, I pay attention from a, not a distance, because to your point, I want her to learn to advocate for herself, right? But I'm always there for her if she needs it because she is going through those changes. She's going through puberty. She's going through, um, you know, learning how to balance even more schoolwork on top of friendships, on top of just, you know, uh, having no time to do anything, right? I mean, the, just a couple of days ago, she was up to midnight doing homework because she had a lot of activities that day. Well, that and the fact that she wanted to talk as soon as she came home for like an hour. And I'm like, you got to get to, you got to do your homework. <laughs> but the bottom line is I always try to make sure I am in tuned with her because when she does need things specifically, she ne- does need that support. I either try to get her to have a conversation with whoever it is at the school, or if she wants me to, I will go in there with her to have a conversation with the appropriate people at the school. I want to make sure she knows she is supported and I want to make sure she knows she can be comfortable in asking for help when she needs it. Right. So I think that is very important. Yeah. And how lucky is she to, you know, to have you, you know, to go into school to help her if she can't, you know, verbalize everything herself. And so many of us never had that. I never had that, you know, and so many women I speak to never had that, you know, and that's why we go around doubting ourselves for a long time, you know, until something clicks. Like, oh, okay. No, I get it. I get it. So for those who, um, you know, they're, they're still struggling. It's they're past grade school. They may be in college or even after college and they're still struggling, but they don't even know if they should bother getting assessed or not. What Mm -hmm. would your advice be to these women? Oh, definitely get assessed because, you know, in some countries, well, like in England, once you get assessed, you can get so much support for free. Like myself, for example, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I'm still in the career stage, but say if I had found out 
during my PhD, what the issue was, it would have saved a lot of heartache, a lot of broken relationships to begin with that interfered with my ability to concentrate on the rest of my PhD. And yeah, to finish my PhD, that was a really tough pull and I had to use everything in me and just neglect everything else in my life, you know, and focus on that one thing. So there is always something, you know, in your life that ADHD can affect. So whether it is the workplace, you know, motherhood, uh, perimenopausal stage, menopausal, you know, pregnancy, you know, there's, there's so many things that can affect a woman, you know, and I know that, you know, some women are diagnosed now at the age of 60 and 70. And I know some people say, what's the point, you know, nothing will change. But for me personally, don't you want to know, you know, why? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, for me, that, 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 that is it, you know? Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. So one of the things you had mentioned the workplace. So, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things about helping women with um, neurodivergent minds, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I always get tongue tied with words. I know people are just like, oh, yeah. that must be Yakini. But anyways, <laughs> you know, so like ADHD uh, is navigating the workplace that can be so difficult for people because I know for me, I really struggled and again, not really understanding why I struggled. Why did I get bored so easily? Why did I walk away and try to, you know, walk the block a few times because I would just get just tired and exhausted when it was just really just boredom, right? And like little things, getting tasks. So now that I know that I have um, ADHD, I remember a time when it used to annoy me when my boss wanted to meet on a weekly basis after ADHD or after my diagnosis, I'm like, can we meet on a weekly basis? (laughs) Because it just helps with my accountability, helps me keep on task. And I'm okay with that. But now that's because I understand what was going on with me all of those times. And if I had known earlier, I would have put those things in place a long time ago. So for those who are really struggling in the workplace, just on a high level, what are three tips that you can give to women to find their way? Yeah, this is like a big passion of mine, actually, because I always say that the part that ADHD has affected me the most is my career, mainly because I just got bored after a certain time, you know, of doing something. And the only way I could manage is by starting my own venture where I can then chop and change over time, you know. So, yeah, on a high level, I would say the first very, very first thing that actually was revelational to me is to find the job and the type of work that you love to do, you know, that something that is suited to your interest-based nervous system, something that is suited to your passion, your skills and your talent, right? And for me, it all changed when I found out exactly what I wanted in my life and a high value vision of what I see. And that, you know, has to tie in with how it fits into my family life, you know, and what I want in life, which is a bit of balance. And then to check your values, you know, what, do you value in your life? You know, do you value advocacy work? Do you value sense of justice or do you value like uh, creativity and uh, family? And then also then just to tap into your talents, you know, your um, past experiences, you know, so I've created a framework called communicating your value, which is a career roadmap for individuals with ADHD. So I think the first step is to find what you love, you know, and the framework helps take someone through it and which actually ends with helping you tell a new story. 
So it's a framework that helps you figure out what you want to do and help you to say it, uh, shout about it. Because I have a background in communications and marketing, and that's that's what I do. So secondly, is to play to your strength. You know, because nothing really happens unless you're working on something that fires you up the right way. You know, something that makes you feel passionate and also something that you're great at. So people with ADHD has multi, you know, talented people and. You know, we are all also like incredibly, incredibly passionate, but also have multi passions, right? We have more than one or two or three things that we want to do in our lives. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, so like play to your strengths, you know, work out what you're great at and then do a lot of that, you know, because it's more than one thing you're great at. How do you bring it together and put it together in a parallel career? And the mm. third thing is, and this applies more to people who are in employment is to get your organization to accommodate you for your challenges, you know? So if you work for yourself, you can do it, you know, yourself, you have a set of things that you need, like accountability, time, time timers, you know, and so the challenges that people tend to face in the workplace is that either once they disclose that they have their ADHD, then, you know, either it kind of falls apart a bit or they get like supervised more and there's more doubt in their ability, you know, to um, like do a certain task. And that's all stigma. You know, um, you need to get like your your managers with a program. And if you can't, you know, signpost them to advocacy channels, you know, that can help them understand, you know, so HR departments can do a lot to work with ADHD um, experts in order to create like an, an tailor plan, something for, you know, their ADHD at work. So how someone can ask for accommodation is got to be specific to what they need, yeah. you know? So there are a set of things like, you know, that people in diversity and inclusion teams tend to give away, you know, like the, the, the headphones, what's it called? Noise cancelling headphones mm -hmm. and, you know, a screen for your work, but that that's more generic. And some people might need more tailored things like maybe flexibility, like around time they start and time they finish, you know, and just having like a conducive environment, low stimulation in all the senses mm -hmm. so that they can concentrate. Accountability, as you say, is so important, you know, having someone to answer to and, you know, keep you accountable. And also sometimes having a project manager to help you, you know, through organizing some of the tasks is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Um, Cause Sam, one of the things that I realize is when I have an accountability partner, it just makes a difference. I'm going to tell you that since we put that in place, me meeting her on a weekly basis, it also helps just keep things clear in my head. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to, and it's like deadlines. So it's like, every time we meet, I know I need to have a certain piece of information by then. If mm -hmm. we didn't meet and it was just due by, you know, like right now we're in September and she said it's due by November 1st. <laughs> if she asked me for, for any updates between now and November 1st, there won't be. Yeah. <laughs> there won't she be. She asked you a night before. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get this presentation done. And yeah. So, so having that piece really does help. So you also mentioned a really good point where it's scary for people to ask for accommodations. I'm more open. So 
I tend to be very open. Like once I found out, I knew that I needed to put certain things in place, right? We even have a, somebody else brought this up, so I'll give her the credit, but we even have a co-working group. So twice a week we meet together and we just sit and do work. And that has been absolutely beneficial for us too. And so I'm very open about it. I'm like, okay, so I'm so glad you brought that up because I just started doing that with some other groups and these things are so successful. And the reason why I do it is because I have ADHD and you know, et cetera, et cetera, very open. But to your yeah. point, some companies just don't understand that. So that can be very yeah. scary. Yeah, and that is actually the majority. You know, I personally couldn't hide my neurodivergence once I found out about it, you know, it was a bit unnerving, announced it in, on LinkedIn, but then I thought, well, have, has it worked for me? Not, you know, knowing my ADHD all these right. years, you know, not really. I, you know, I get burnout every year and a half and I want to have a holiday. <laughs> so yeah. Right. So to your point, whether or not we should ask for accommodations when we don't feel safe to do so, there are ways for you to ask for accommodation without even saying that you have ADHD, right? right? Because some of the things that we need, like accountability, you don't have to really have ADHD to ask for them. Mm-hmm. You know, like saying that sometimes I need maybe extra half an hour before I start work, you know, that is to account for maybe being late, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, there are a lot of things you can say without saying you have ADHD. You know, like, tell me how you have ADHD without saying you have ADHD. Right. And right. and it's so important that you feel safe before you actually, um, you know, disclose your ADHD, because I think we have very strong bullshit detectors. Right. You know, we we are very um, good at telling, I suppose, we're very instinctive of, of, of knowing how someone will receive what we say to them. And also, you know, like good judge of character, I feel. So use your you know, six cents or whatever, (laughs) the ADHD spidey sense. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Trust your instincts because I've learned too many times. Yeah. No, that's really good. So just really quick, I want you to talk about a little bit more about your communicating your value program. So you hit on, on a high level, but you know, how could this help women in this area? So the communicating piece or communicating yes. your value piece. Yes. So it's it's such an extensive program. You know, um, I put together everything that has helped me. And I don't think there's another program out there right now, you know, doing the same thing. It's got a six modules and 12 exercises. And it's all laid out around figuring out what you want to do in your life. You know, and it it ends with like you not like you knowing how to proceed in the next step. You know, I've got people taking this program who had been stuck for years, you know, um, in their freelance career, not know what to do next, you know, whether it's because of um, fear of um, starting again mm-hmm. or perfectionism, but um, it, it has helped them make the next move, you know, and uh, how it's, um, I I laid it out is that um, first I look into your vision, you know, what you want in your life and what are the kind of environments that suit your ADHD and your neurodivergence. By neurodivergence, I mean, some people have, you know, more than ADHD. And for myself, for example, I potentially Asperger's. So um, I, I, I need, you know, a certain set of environment that work for me and what is important to you. Like I mentioned the values, you know, um, family and balance is important to me as well as achieving, 
you know, in my career.、Mm-hmm. So I needed to create a career that works on that front. Because let me tell you, the amount of people I know who apply for a job just because, you know, is astounding.、Yeah. But what the pandemic has changed, I think. Hopefully, you know, has changed for us, and especially for us women who realize we have ADHD, is we have a second chance,、mm. you know, to really do it right. And knowing what you need, you know, the kind of environment that suits you is such a great way to start doing that. So I have a framework that helps you discover what it is that you have a unique advantage in, because everyone has that one special gift and talent, and then、uh, the environment that suits you. And there, I talk into,、uh, about work accommodations. So the things that you need in your environment in order for you to thrive,、um, and also recognizing the type of environment that depletes you, so then you can avoid those. And、um, the next, <laughs> let's, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm on to the fifth module now. So we're talking about how to sort of bring it all together. Okay. And and then in the end, we actually talk about communicating your actual value online. So、um, there's a framework that helps you put together. What your、um, type of、uh, work is, and then communicate that on LinkedIn, social media,、mm-hmm. and all the various places where you'll be talking about your work, including a CV. Oh, I love that! I love that. So, how long have you been、um, working through this program, or how, how long have you? When did you start this program? Yeah, so it was only launched、uh, in May, I think. Okay, and then I I had like one cohort. You know, which lasted about a month and a half, because I, I tailored it to be a six to eight weeks program, and、okay. I kind of like, you know, kind of breeze through it with、uh, some of my clients. So initially, when I launched it, it was a like a one-on-one coaching. Okay. Like I, I, I didn't feel like、um, I was able to manage a group coaching yet because of the other things I had going on. So then I took a break, and then now I want to launch it as a self-paced course. Okay.、Um, and with the option、like、to、that. add a virtual consultancy on top of that, so that could potentially be the accountability once someone purchases the self-paced program, which will be cheaper as well because it's self-paced, and then they could book in an account- accountability session, you know, to talk through things. Nice. Now, can anybody join globally? Yes. It, yeah. Anybody can. And in fact, you know, if anyone's interested, they can message me right now. I'm just in the process of putting it up on a page. On my website, which is、uh, taking a bit of time because、um, there's numerous technical things that's happening behind the ground. You know, I understand. I understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the program is available. <laughs> that's too funny. So,、um, is there anything just to sum it up? Anything that you want to say to girls, women, professionals that work with girls? Just any type of closing words. Uh, well, that is、uh, like it sort of、uh, covers quite a lot of different section of groups, you know. That's why, like, I I, I realize that when when I try and understand people's questions, it's like I have this obsessive、uh, need to understand processes and exactly what you mean.、Mm-hmm. So the thing is, we got to recognize what is it about ADHD that affects us, right? And if it's emotional regulation, you know, sort of find a way and you know. Find someone to help you with it. You know, that's ADHD coaching. You know, and there are、uh, 
therapies out there. I recently started dialectical behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. That's DBT. It's really good for emotional regulation, much better than CBT. And yeah, so if it's the workplace challenges that you're recognizing, you know, um, having an ADHD coach can really help, you know, and as I say, you know, try and work in an environment that supports you, that makes you thrive. Because honestly, you can't thrive if you're in a high pressure environment that doesn't recognize your strength. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And as you know, you talk a lot about parenting, mm-hmm. you know, so there are numerous resources out there to help people who have children with ADHD mm-hmm. as well, but understand that you're not on your own. Yeah. You know, there's always someone there to help and what has helped me and what, made me feel safe to open up is social media. You know, it's a bunch of people we don't meet in real life <laughs> and who we can actually talk to um, over chats and things, you know, so it's helpful. But I find the one thing that I realized with all these chats and social media is that there's so many people out there giving advices now, you know, and the thing is, if you want advice for how to proceed with your ADHD, always go to a professional, mm. you know, don't just take advice from, like a, a community group, you know, like other people shared experience is great, but make sure they reference a professional. Right. Right. I like that. I do like that. So, and you answered that question perfectly. <laughs> so uh, I was wondering so, how to wrap up. Uh, oh, no, that was good. That was good. I always, I always have people just go where their heart leads them and you, you did that perfectly. So um, is there any type of, so you mentioned resources or any resources that you can recommend for people if they just want more information around this topic? Yeah. So because my interest is around girls and women with ADHD, there is a book which is amazing and it's helped me understand my own child. It's called Understanding Girls with ADHD by Kathleen Nadeau, Alan Littman and Patricia Quinn. It uh, sort of gives you a cross-section of different traits, you know, to look out for at different developmental stage of your child's life and also go heavily into the biological explanation of why that is. And because my background is a scientist, I really want to know processes and understand how things come to be. And over at the UK, there is a new book that was published this year by, uh, it was curated by Dr. Joanne Steer about understanding ADHD in girls and women. And of course, there is the Nat Hallowell's ADHD 2.0. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's like everyone knows about that. But yeah, if there's anything more specific, you know, that someone wants to know, feel free to get in touch. Okay. And how can they reach you? Yeah, they can reach me on Instagram. I think that's that's where I hang out. And I, I do answer direct messages when I can. But if someone tends to ask something that, you know, I can't answer within like one or two text messages, then I, I do ask them to book a consultation session with me mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it can be quite like laborious in time. Right. Yeah. And link, LinkedIn as well. I'm on there and I'm very vocal about ADHD. I've owned it. So, yeah if you need help to, you know, open up and maybe announce your ADHD, if you feel safe to do so, please get in touch with me. I run a LinkedIn live called ADHD in the workplace. Okay, perfect. And then for um, Instagram, what is your handle? Yeah. So it's at ADHD underscore girls. It's ADHD girls. Very simple. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was great. Great, great, great. We'll have to talk again. I mean, this is a topic that is just so close to me just because of my own experiences and the experiences of my daughter. So, um, so thank you. Thank you for taking time. Oh, 
Well, thank you for having me. It's really lovely to talk to you. <laughs> Hope you have a great day. <laughs> you too. All right. Have a wonderful day. Bye, everybody. Thank Bye. You. Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review and join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.